This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, we start today's program with the immortal 1965 Castaways hit, Liar, Liar, because, well, the lyrics are appropriate in, for what's going on right now. Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. How many times has Donald Trump earned that designation as people evaluated his misstatements? Some of them, we have to admit, are only partially untrue. Others are mostly untrue, and some are so untrue, they just come under the heading of pants on fire. Mr. McMillan suspects that that is the PolitiFax uh, designation on on their website. I must say, in 20-odd years of doing a radio program, I have never, I don't think, ever felt so just discouraged. We are six months into a pandemic that is gripping the nation and the world And what do we get from our supposed leadership? The passing around of lies, not not just regular lies, pants on fire, insane kind of lies. I've got several piles of articles right in front of me that I need to attack as as we examine all of this. Before we do so, let's backtrack a little bit. Here's a couple clips from the first of this month, July 2020. I think we're going to be very good with the coronavirus. I think that at some point, uh, that's going to sort of just disappear, I hope. I'm all for masks. I think masks are good. I would wear, if I were in a group of people and I was close. You would wear one. Oh, I would, I would, oh, I have. I mean, people have seen me wearing one. Actually, I, I had a mask on. I sort of liked the way I looked. Okay, I thought it was okay. It was a dark black mask and I thought it looked okay. It looked like the Lone Ranger. Saying it's, it's just going to go away. The coronavirus is just going to go away. Not good thinking. But the part about masks, well, that's something you think. You think. And then, two days after we aired last week's program, the news comes out that uh, Sinclair was about to broadcast the Sinclair Network, which has TV stations all across the country, a, a segment in their program, America This Week, hosted by Eric Bowling, which was going to prominently feature Judy Mikovits, that medical researcher featured in the discredited pandemic video that went viral earlier this year, and which got banned from platforms like Facebook and YouTube for very good reason. Well, Dr. Mikovits, if she is a doctor, turns up in this little segment on America this week with an on-screen graphic reading, Did Dr. Fauci Create... COVID-19. Now, in the pandemic video, Mikovits hinted very strongly that Fauci was behind this. Mikovits told Bowling that Fauci had, over the past decade, quote-unquote, manufactured and shipped coronavirus to Wuhan, China, which became the original epicenter of the current outbreak. Bowling noted that that was a hefty claim, but did not meaningfully challenge Mikovits and allowed her to continue making her case. 
The segment ignited significant controversy after CNN Business reported it last week. Local stations across the country started receiving complaints from viewers who requested they not air the segment. People who work at Sinclair Station told CNN Business speaking on the condition of anonymity because they were not allowed to speak publicly. On Saturday the 25th, the company defended airing the segment in a series of tweets, saying it did not endorse the conspiracy theory, but was committed to providing the audience with diverse viewpoints. Now, it should be noted that Sinclair is not saying that it will never broadcast this segment. It's just saying they're delaying it for the time being. Notes The Guardian weighing in on this topic. Dr. Judy Mikovits, a former research scientist, is behind the widely discredited pandemic video, which makes a string of false and outlandish claims, including that any coronavirus vaccine will kill millions and that beaches should not be closed because the sand and ocean will somehow treat COVID-19. Mikovitz's lawyer, Larry Klayman, was also interviewed on Sinclair America this week with her, with the former Fox News host, Eric Bowling. And according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which monitors far-right groups in the U.S., Klayman, the founder of the Judicial Watch, is, quote, a pathologically litigious attorney and professional gadfly, notorious for suing everyone from Iran's supreme leader to his own mother, unquote. The Guardian, referring to the claim that the virus was made in the laboratory, said leading Trump allies have pushed that claim as the administration seeks to blame China for the pandemic. Experts say the disease originated in a wet market where live wild animals were sold as food. They also note that Sinclair's links to the Trump administration have come under scrutiny. For example, when, in 2018, local news anchors were instructed to read an identical script criticizing quote-unquote fake news stories. The chairman of Sinclair, David D. Smith, said in 2016 he told Trump, we are here to deliver your message. Anyway, at the present time, no one has seen that atrocious piece of so-called reporting, but we know for a fact that at least 14 million people saw a subsequent video put together by Breitbart. To quote from John Bassettino and Oliver Darcy in CNN Business, a video featuring a group of doctors making false and dubious claims related to the coronavirus was removed by Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube after going viral online Monday, July 27th. The video, published by the right-wing media outlet Breitbart News, featured a group of people wearing white lab coats calling themselves America's frontline doctors. They staged a press conference in front of the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., the president shared multiple versions of this video with his 84 million Twitter followers that night, despite the dubious claims running counter to his administration's own public health experts. Spokespersons for the White House did not immediately respond to requests for comment, though stay tuned for what the president does subsequently say when he, when he does get asked. But notes the piece in CNN Business, during the press conference, a speaker who identifies herself as a doctor... This would be Dr. Stella Emanuel, makes a number of dubious claims, including you don't need masks to prevent spread of the coronavirus, and that recent studies showing hydroxychloroquine is ineffective are fake science, sponsored by fake pharma companies. She claims the virus has a cure. It's called hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and zithromax. You don't need masks. There is a cure. Note CNN. The claim runs contrary to multiple studies on the anti-malarial drug and advice from public health officials to prevent spread of the virus. We should interject at this point that studies are continuing on this. We certainly hope that there is some value to hydroxychloroquine, perhaps in treating the condition early. But 
I did happen to look at this, the entirety of this video because it was sent to me by um, someone who's proving to be a surprising advocate for these uh, oddball theories. And in the video, I witnessed Dr. Stella Emanuel describing how she treated 300, she's a primary care doctor in Houston, supposedly. She treated 350 people with COVID, with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, and all 350 were cured. Any doctor that claims that they had 350 patients with anything and that they quote unquote cured any of them with, cured all of them rather, with her uh, treatment should be doubted. Medicine just doesn't usually work that way and medicines generally just don't work that way. And one's pretty hard pressed to imagine a circumstance in which, you know, you can bat a thousand 350 times. I suppose if you had 350 people drowning in a river and lifeguards pulled them all out, you could say all 350 were cured. But at any rate, the video went viral on Facebook, becoming one of the top performers on the platform with more than 14 million views before it got taken down Monday night for promoting misinformation. It was shared nearly 600,000 times. Twitter then took action against the videos that Trump retweeted. By Tuesday morning, the 28th, the videos were no longer able to be viewed on his account. Twitter also took action on a version of the video posted by Donald Trump Jr. and others shared by Breitbart News. The video was also removed from YouTube where it had been viewed more than 40,000 times. The article notes that a Breitbart spokesperson did not immediately respond to CNN requests for comment. In the wake of all this, Dr. Anthony Fauci, noted by Reuters to be the nation's top infectious disease expert who has led the country through multiple health crises for decades, defended his work to protect Americans' health after the president retweeted this controversial video. Fauci, who directs the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and has worked with six U.S. presidents, said he did not follow Trump's tweets. He urged Americans to continue to heed common-sense recommendations to help curb the outbreak in the country where there are over 4 million cases and 150,000 deaths. He told ABC News, there are certain fundamental things we should be doing, including wearing masks, distancing at least six feet from others, avoiding crowds, closing bars, in some areas anyway, and washing hands. There is no question about that. He added that Trump's post would not deter his public health work, adding, I'll just continue to do my job no matter what comes out because I think it's very important. We're in the middle of a crisis. Now, while as Fauci was saying all of this, Trump again addressed the issue in a, in a press conference of sorts. Notes The Guardian. At a White House press conference on Tuesday, July 28th, Trump expressed puzzlement over why the so-called America's Frontline Doctors video had been removed, noting that Dr. Emanuel claimed to be treating hundreds of COVID-19 patients with the malarial drug hydroxychloroquine, which he has long championed despite federal public health advice that it is ineffective. I don't know why, he told reporters. I think they're very respected doctors. There was a woman who was spectacular in her statements about it, and she's had tremendous success with it. At that point, Caitlin Collins, White House correspondent for CNN, challenged the president. The woman you said was a great doctor in that video that you retweeted last night said that masks don't work and there is a cure for COVID-19, both of which health experts say is not true, she said. She also made videos saying that doctors make medicine using DNA from aliens and they're trying to create a vaccine to make you immune from becoming religious. Looking increasingly agitated, Trump replied, maybe it's the same person, maybe it's not. But I can tell you this, she was on the air 
along with many other doctors. They were big fans of hydroxychloroquine, and I thought she was very impressive in the sense that from where she came, I don't, I don't know which country she came from, but she said that she's had tremendous success with hundreds of different patients. And I thought her voice was an important voice, but I know nothing about her. Collins followed up, but Trump abruptly wound up the press conference talking over her by saying, okay, thank you very much, everybody, and departing the briefing room. Noted The Guardian, Dr. Emanuel is a registered doctor in Texas, according to the Texas Medical Board. She runs a clinic in a strip mall next to her church, Firepower Ministries. She has often claimed, notes the Daily Beast, that gynecological problems like cysts and endometriosis are in fact caused by people having sex in their dreams with demons and witches. She alleges alien DNA is currently used in medical treatments and that scientists are cooking up a vaccine to prevent people from becoming religious, as we noted a moment ago. Anyway, I I pulled up a profile on this doctor who was apparently born in Cameroon, educated in Nigeria. She apparently has a lengthy bio uh, on, on, on a Facebook section which calls her a prophet of God to the nations. One sentence in that profile reads, her attitude toward demonic forces has been described as cutthroat, a warrior to the core. Emmanuel is also a wealth transfer coach. Yeah, I bet. It's been noted that uh, Nigerians seem to have a knack for that, particularly on the internet. The Facebook bio also notes that Dr. Stella has established a Christian resource center which supplies books, videos, CDs, and other teaching materials to residents in her birthplace of Bali, Cameroon. She's credited with crusades, health fairs, raising money for orphanages, providing funding for small businesses, and being the host of a radio and TV show, Firepower. The bio opens with, I shoot first and ask questions later. The Daily Beast pointed out that some of Emmanuel's sermons posted to her website have strange medical claims, including one in which she claims that certain medical issues like endometriosis, cyst infertility, and impotence are the result of sex with spirit husbands and spirit wives, which she describes as having sex in dreams with witches and demons. Now, I do want to note here at Radio Parallax that we do officially take a position against having sex in dreams with witches and demons. I know. Well, my feeling is no good will come from that. Anyway, this is the doctor that Trump is retweeting. The doctor that says, don't wear masks. Again, according to Trump, in the press conference, there was a woman who was spectacular in her statements about it, and she's had tremendous success with it. And this all gets worse. After they held a press conference on the steps of the uh, Supreme Court, and actually it's very funny when you, if you can watch the video, which I actually do not recommend you do, but if you did, you would notice that when the camera pans to the crowd, it appears to be curious passers-by who happen to stop with their video cameras and see what the, the fuss was all about. Apparently Breitbart didn't think it was a good idea to invite, you know, actual news agencies. In spite of all that, Mike Pence, remember him, the United States Vice President, the guy that's supposed to be spearheading our national effort, or maybe maybe better, best described as national non-effort against coronavirus, well, he met with some members of the group after their little press conference in front of the Supreme Court. Although it was reported by CNN that the most prominent person in the video, Stella Emanuel, did not in fact meet with Pence. Jenny, Barth Mar- Jenny Beth Martin, who is the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, said she also attended... We're not sure why the Tea Party patriots were lumped together with America's frontline doctors. Well, I mean, that would imply there's politics going on here. That, that, that surely can't be what explains all this, can it? Now, I do want to note that th- these doctors made a point that hydroxychloroquine should be more widely available. 
and perhaps it should. If it turns out that it does have value in the early treatment of COVID patients, let's establish that right away. The argument has been made that these studies that uh, showed it wasn't working were using high doses in very sick patients and causing lots of side effects, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all I can say is if it works, we should find that out. I mean, we, if it works, we will find that out. And if it absolutely doesn't work, we're going to find that out too. By the way, in that press conference, uh, Trump said that, he, you know, he, he reiterated his support for hydroxychloroquine, saying, all I want to do is save lives. I happen to be a believer in hydroxy. Asked later about studies showing the number of Americans might not accept a vaccine, Trump said he wasn't concerned. He was more focused on treatments. I'm a big therapeutic person, he said. Writing about all of this taking place in late January, six months into the coronavirus pandemic was an opinion by Michael D'Antonio. This was on CNN. The headline was, Opinion, Americans are dying of COVID-19 and Trump is pouting about Fauci. The article noted, the op-ed piece noted that according to the Washington Post, Trump's recent attempts at taking a new approach to the pandemic happened after his loyal aides showed him data proving that members of his base, his loyalists in Republican red states, are now also being hit hard by the coronavirus. They are suffering and dying just like Democrats in blue states. In Tulsa, cases surged after the president defied medical advice against public gatherings to hold a rally, of course, which the governor of Oklahoma subsequently contracted COVID-19. His people say they're not sure that he got it at the rally, but evidently Herman Cain did. Herman Cain, the semi-famous supporter of President Trump, has been in the hospital for three weeks now. D'Antonio notes, while it can't be known for sure where Kane caught the virus, we do know that he proudly shared photos of himself at the Tulsa rally without a mask. Who notes D'Antonio, where someone else's suffering might not be enough to move the president, a trend that makes him look bad, may. In this case, the political polls made it clear that he risked a humiliating loss if he didn't turn around public opinion on his pandemic response. He also apparently started to feel envious of Tony Fauci, who polls show is more trusted on coronavirus than is the president. Gee, I wonder why. D'Antonio notes that Trump's irritation with Fauci's popularity was evident when, after the doctor threw out the first pitch at a major league ball game, the president surprised his staff by saying he was going to do the same at Yankee Stadium next month. It appears that the president, irritated by Fauci's popularity and throwing out the pitch, had his aides call people in the Yankees organization to request that he come there to toss out a pitch. But evidently, he's now thought better of it and says, no, no, I'm going to have a lot of work to do on that day, you know, three weeks in the future. Now, we noted on this program many weeks ago that Florida looked like it was likely to be a hot spot in the not-too-distant future, and it appears we were quite correct in that assumption. Speaking of baseball, it appears the Florida Marlins have something like 10 cases of covid on their team, which is going to make it kind of hard for them to participate in the major league season. And I'm not sure whether, as we speak at the moment, Florida has caught and exceeded the number of cases in California to become the nation's number one, but it certainly appears to be headed in that direction. It has passed New York for the number two position. And last time I checked, Texas was coming in at number four. We described on this show a couple months back a, a, a road trip taken from Orange County, California to Florida through Texas, wherein we predicted that this was likely to happen if you open up the economy, because by God, we got to get people back to work and back on the job, but you don't test, contact trace, isolate, 
as people are now cavalierly cramming together in crowds, you're just certain to have trouble. And we have had trouble, which leads us to one of our favorites, The Week magazine, which we rely upon every, every show to give us some succinct summaries from around the world. The cover of this week's issue shows uh, a tall guy in a blue suit with a bad hairdo shoving his head into the ground like an ostrich. He has just removed his Make America Great hat as a large virus is rolling toward him down the hill. The headline is, The Price of Denial, Why the U.S. is Failing to Limit the Spread of the Coronavirus. Notes the magazine, the U.S. coronavirus daily death toll broke 1,100 this week for the first time since May as case numbers rose in 40 states and numerous states set records for hospitalizations and deaths. States across the South and Southwest were overwhelmed by surging infections. Several states faced shortages of intensive care beds. In Florida, at least 50 hospitals were maxed out, while the health officer in Mississippi, where 31 state legislators are infected, said the system risked being thoroughly overwhelmed. A growing number of school districts were opting to begin the school year with partial or full remote learning, a subject we'll have a great deal more to say about in our second segment. As dozens of states struggled to contain the virus, they faced lab backlogs and supply shortages that were creating waits of weeks or more for test results, making the tests largely useless in identifying and containing infections. Meanwhile, the Trump administration sought to block billions of dollars in state grants for testing and contact tracing in the upcoming relief bill. Let me say that again. Meanwhile, the Trump administration sought to block billions of dollars in state grants for testing and contact tracing. Here's the part we somehow missed in the program up till now. <laughs> was that When the president started doing his uh, televised briefings again, for the first time since April, he said his administration is now, and we note six months into the pandemic, quote, in the process of developing a strategy, end quote. So it's not like he's ignoring the problem. I mean, clearly <laughs> the administration is, as we speak, in the process of developing a strategy. And of course, he complained that TV coverage was blowing the problem out of proportion and repeated his claims, which we aired at the beginning of the program, that the virus will disappear. It will disappear. Here's a shocking little editorial from the Washington Examiner, noted right-wing publication, which noted that Trump is losing the public with his rosy talk. Bluster and spin go a long way said the examiner in real estate and reality TV, but they don't work in a pandemic, which is why his poll numbers have cratered, with the U.S. facing devastation as life in Italy and Spain goes back to normal. They noted that Trump faces more than a communication problem. It's a results problem. Writing in the New York Times, Michael Shears said, what we're seeing is perhaps one of the greatest failures of presidential leadership in generations. Faced with America's biggest crisis in decades, the White House embraced overly rosy projections in order to proclaim victory over the virus and prematurely reopened the economy. And the magazine reprinted an editorial that appeared in the Washington Post by Joel Achenbach, titled A Crisis Foretold and Ignored. And I think we will get to that in our second segment. Let's, uh, let's take a little bit of a break from this and what we have left in this segment and do some other stuff, starting with the good the bad, and the ugly.
According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for bisexual men who actually do exist, according to a new British study. Magazine notes that once skeptical researcher Gerald Rieger said the penile response data of 400 men exposed to gay and straight pornography was, quote-unquote, clear proof of bisexual arousal. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for services on the Internet with news of the arrest of a Michigan woman who paid $5,000 plus travel expenses on rentahitman.com for the purposes of murdering her ex-husband. The owner of the fake website says it has helped prevent 130 murders since its founding in 2005. It was, on the other hand, an ugly week last week for, I guess you'd say, being insufficiently woke with the news that students at Marymount Manhattan College want a professor fired because she fell asleep during a Zoom anti-racism meeting. A petition with 2,000 signatures states theater professor Patricia Simon should not be an educator any longer after she nodded off. Simon claims she was merely resting my Zoom-weary eyes with her head tilted back. We cannot render a judgment because we have not seen the actual Zoom video. We have also no way of judging here at Radio Parallax how actually interesting that anti-racism meeting was. Having been, frankly, through more than my share of snooze-inducing meetings, I have to retain a certain sympathy for the professor. And we're not sure whether this is a good week for or a bad week for or exactly how to categorize it, but, but here's the story. Former NBC hockey analyst Jeremy Rainick, age 50, who was fired after joking on a podcast that he'd like to, quote, go to bed, unquote, with a female colleague, is suing the network for anti-straight discrimination. Ronick's suit claims that when he told his boss that skating commentator Johnny Weir also engaged in suggestive on-air banter, he was told that Weir is gay and can say whatever he wants. Ronick argues he was fired for his heterosexual orientation. We don't know what to think about this one either. And here's a story we can't resist. Apparently a three-mile stretch of a new border wall in Texas built by a private group is now in danger of collapsing into the Rio Grande. I think actually part of it did collapse, and that's because of erosion. President Trump now says this portion of the wall was, quote, only done to make me look bad, unquote. But, notes the Washington Post, he lobbied for the builder, Fisher Sand and Gravel, to get a $1.7 billion federal wall-building contract. And speaking of Donald Trump, apparently after the president uh, staged a meeting in the grand foyer in the White House recently that had behind him official portraits of former presidents George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, Trump made it clear to aides that he has no respect for either president, or for that matter, President Obama, whose official portrait has not yet been unveiled. As a consequence, these official portraits of the former presidents have been moved to a room mainly used for storage. And finally, in an item that is, well, terrifying, frankly, we reiterate, I think we made passing mention of this before, but we should do it again, that in an interview with Chris Wallace on Fox News earlier this month, Donald Trump refused to say he would accept the results of the November election if he lost. He said, no, I have to see. No. I'm not going to just say yes. I didn't last time either. 
Trump claimed that Democrats will use mail-in voting to rig the election and conceded that he's, quote, not a good loser, unquote. That was reported on Fox News. All right, we started this segment with a song about lies. We should probably end it that way as well. Let's go with Fleetwood Mac. We know that the co-founder of Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green, passed away this past week. Peter Green led Fleetwood Mac for less than three years from 1967 to 1970 and left the group before it became one of the world's best-selling pop hit makers in the late 1970s. Peter Green wrote most of Fleetwood Mac's early songs, including Black Magic Woman, which later became an American hit for Carlos Santana. In his younger days, Peter Green joined John Mayall and the Blues Breakers as Eric Clapton's successor on lead guitar, appearing on the band's 1967 album, A Hard Road. Mayall gave Green some recording studio time as a birthday present in 1966, and Green set up a session with Blues Breakers' rhythm section, Mick Fleetwood on drums, and John McVie on bass. The recordings included an instrumental named Fleetwood Mac from which came the band, which later toured America, sharing bills with the Grateful Dead. Green tried LSD from the Dead's sound engineer and psychedelic chemist, Owlsley Stanley, whom we had a wonderful segment on this show last year or the year before on. Green continued to take LSD and mescaline and grew increasingly erratic, it said. On a tour in Munich in early 1970, he visited a hippie commune and disappeared for three days when he later said he went on a trip and never came back. In 1970, he left Fleetwood Mac. He was found to have schizophrenia that year and underwent electroconvulsive therapy. was in and out of mental hospitals. He did sit in with Fleetwood Mac during studio sessions for the band's 1979 album Tusk, appearing on the song Brown Eyes. In 1998, Peter Green was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Fleetwood Mac. Santana was also inducted that year, and Green jammed with the group on Black Magic Woman. But today's theme is lies, so let's go out with Fleetwood Mac's Sweet Little Lies, even though Peter Green didn't write that one. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got a lot more. Stick around. <laughs> 